All right, John 4, if you've got your Bible. We're finishing, up the, uh, we're finishing up the story of the Samaritan woman and Jesus' encounter uh, with her. And so in John chapter 4, verse 27, let's read there, and then we'll begin to walk through the text. So Jesus has just in 26 revealed to her that he's the Messiah, and so the disciples come up. So 427, just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. So the disciples had come back. They'd gone for food in 31. So meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus' response is, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. And so this will be the next part of our focus today, 35. So do not say, there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the, wheel, the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. 39 says, Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed two more days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So I want to talk about, just kind of set the scene here. So they've been in town getting food. An hour and a half or maybe two hours or so, um, this conversation Jesus has had with the woman at the well. And so they've been gone, and they have no idea what's been taking place. Well, they've been in Sychar in the village gathering food to bring out to Jesus. And as they're walking up, and they see the scene before them, is that Jesus is... Um, talking with a woman now uh, in their system this just sets off the fireworks because in those days the rabbis taught don't a rabbi would never be caught speaking to a woman in public because of the way that women were seen and so so for them in their system the way they'd been grown up and everything they'd been taught and everything that had been modeled for them to see Jesus standing by himself talking with this woman just on the inside went, what in the world is going on? And so the scene before them, they can't, they can't handle it. Their system can't. And so it says, they marveled that he was talking. Now this marveling is not the kind where it caused them to go and fall at his feet and worship him. It was marveling in the kind of shock in regard to why in the world would you do something scandalous by talking to a woman in public since you are our teacher? And Now, I, I don't know everybody's detail about your church upbringing and all of that kind of stuff, but we have all had people in our lives who are very well-meaning, and, and I'm not saying that they don't love God, but they have ideas about how Christians ought to view certain things and they are preferences of theirs and you need to follow their preferences and if you don't follow their preferences and they're going to kind of tell you about it and in some of those preferences it's not it's not wrong to have preferences but they're let's just be honest they're our preferences some of them don't rise to the level of a biblical mandate and so so you don't have to 
do them. So for the disciples, their preference would be to not see Jesus talking to this woman. They wish that they would not be seeing this. And they had two ideas as they see this. What in the world does she think she's doing talking to him? And what in the world does he think he's doing talking to her? So these opinions are inside of them as they process this before them. Now for all of us, every idea that we have or preference that we have, we must line it up with Scripture to make sure that it lines up with Scripture and to make sure that it is biblical. Let me give a couple. You probably have heard these before. So I grew up in a time where it was a sin to play cards. I grew up in a time where don't you go to where they dance because bad things happen where people dance. So you couldn't go to places where dancing was. Um, there were certain movies that you couldn't see or there were certain things of this nature. I also grew up in a time where um, you better wear a suit to church. Everywhere tie, everybody needs to dress up. Then there are some who say, well, I, I think church ought to be casual. We ought to be casual. And, and then the formal people say, no, what's wrong with you? My preference is this. Uh, then there are those who say the church should only sing hymns um, because, you know, they're older and they're, they're more grounded in certain things. And then those people forget that the hymns were once new and that there's songs written today that are grounded deep in theology, you know, theological really good words. And they're new today. And so, again, there's preferences about all of that kind of stuff that don't rise to the level of a biblical mandate. And so we have to be careful. So I've got some of the, I have some of those, and I've got to be careful to not put them heavily on you. You have some of those that you need to be careful to not put them heavily on me. Now, this is where the disciples were on this day. The scene before them was one where they're like, okay, I don't like what I'm seeing. And, and again, inside their system, um, they were trying to process what they were seeing. And it says here, they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but they had learned something somewhere along the way, but none of them spoke out loud. Now, they're, all, they're having lots of conversations inside of themselves at what they see, but no one said to the woman, what do you see talking to our Jesus? Why, why are you troubling with him? And then none of them said to him, why are you talking with her? And so um, they've learned probably because there's been a moment where somebody said something and Jesus said, no, guys, uh, that's your preference and we're not going to do that. I didn't come to follow what the Pharisees taught or what you think or what's been modeled to you. I came to seek and save the lost. So they have learned that he does things a little bit more unconventional than anybody that they have seen before. And actually, them holding their tongue is something that is good. Um, Mark taught us um, several months ago in James 119, Know this, my, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear. And what's the next thing? Slow to speak. So there's times when, I don't know if, you've, if you have the Nextdoor app, uh, I don't encourage you to read it a whole lot. There's lots of opinions being thrown out there today about lots of stuff. And um, there, we just live in a day where everybody thinks, well, I have a right to say what I need to say. And actually, we don't. And so we should be slow to think through what we type, what we post, and what we say. And so, so they hold off on saying anything to the woman. And they hold off on saying anything to Jesus. But the point of 27 is simply this. They don't marvel that Jesus is transforming a woman's life. Now, they don't have any idea, but they should have known that's probably what he was up to. 
because that's why he'd come. They should have seen this as, I bet. They, John should have turned to Peter and said, I bet he's changing her life. But they don't do that. They just see it and go, oh, this is scandalous. And I love what happens here. God, let me remind us, God values the broken. Here's a woman who has been married multiple times. She's now living with a guy who is not her husband. And Jesus has valued her in the mess of her life and the brokenness of her life. There's a beautiful passage. I think it's in Matthew Um, Don't you love when people say, well, I think it's in Matthew. Well, there's only 28 chapters to find that, but I think it's in Matthew. And it says, a bruised reed he will not break. And it just pictures a reed by a pond that has been bent, and it's not strong, and Jesus is not going to come to a bruised life that is bent over, and he's not just going to break it. He's going to bring healing to that. And this is exactly what he's doing in this woman's heart. There's one more thing I want to say before um, we move on. They have an opinion of what they see Jesus doing. And you know this, I know this. Um, we have people in our lives, family members, co-workers, whoever the case may be, church members, and, 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 and people are going to have a preference and an opinion on how you and I need to live our lives. And that's not going to ever go away. And so what do we do? How do we live our lives? And, and this, is, this is what I want to say. So the disciples had an opinion about what the woman shouldn't be talking to Jesus. They had an opinion about Jesus shouldn't be talking to the woman. So those things are just going to be present. So here's what we do. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 9. This is Paul says, So whether we are at home or we are away, we make it our aim to please Jesus. So our ultimate goal in life and aim of our life is not to bend to the personal preferences of others, but to bend to the promises and the truth of God's Word. So they had an opinion about the woman, they had an opinion about Jesus, but neither of those two opinions, watch this, were grounded in scriptural mandate. Could Jesus talk to her? Absolutely he could. Could she talk to him? Well, absolutely she could. Regardless of what the culture had said, there wasn't a biblical teaching that said this couldn't take place. They preferred the sight before them to not be there, but everything that they were seeing was absolutely God-ordained and biblical. Jesus was reaching and changing this woman's heart. So let me just, let me just remind you of something that we know but we need reminding of people are going to have their preferences and people are going to say, well, I don't think you should say that. I don't think you should do that or whatever the case may be. We've got to live in such a way that aims to please Jesus ultimately because he's the one that we're going to stand before. Well, let's talk now at the next part of the text. Look in verse 28 and let's read 28 through 30 again. And I want to talk about the heart satisfied becomes the life that is sent. So the woman brought with her, and I got it up here. The woman brought with her early at noon that day. She brought a water jar to fill it up with water. And it says that she went away into town. She left her water jar, went away in town, and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. So, so when, they, when Jesus arrives at the, at the well, or she comes, she's got this. Now, when they get there, she has left it. The disciples get to the well from Sychar. 
And let me give you two reasons why I think she left it. One was, all of a sudden, something became more important in her life than filling up that jar with water. And, and, and what was more important to her more than anything else was, her life had just been changed by encountering Jesus, and she had to go tell somebody about what had happened with her. And so she leaves the water jar there to go back into town and to tell everybody about it. But I think there's another reason why she left the water jar there. After she went into town, what was she planning on doing? She was going to come back out. She's like, okay, I don't need this. I don't need to lug this thing back in there a couple of miles back into Sychar. And so I'm going to come back out. I'm going to go tell everybody that I've met the Messiah. And so, so she leaves it because there was something more important. But she also left it because she know, knew that she was going to come back. And so she does come back and she goes into the town and she proclaims the truth of who Jesus is. And let me give you four things if you're taking notes on what happens when our heart becomes satisfied, we become a person who's sent and, or a person who becomes on mission. Here's the first thing. The heart that becomes satisfied in Jesus leaves the old things of their life behind. This is what she thought she needed that day. She thought, I needed to go out there like I've done every day, and I need to fill up my water jug full of water. But what happened was she didn't fill this up with water. Her life got filled up. And because her life got filled up, she left her old, old thing that, 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 that dominated her life and that she was coming at noon to fill this up and she went back into town. And I love the beauty of this. She had come at noon to avoid who? People. Why? Well, she had a reputation. Now I want you to picture this. This is the well... That sidecar, or y'all sidecar, that, say the, the booth back there, sidecar. I want you to picture this woman whose reputation was tainted, um, discarded. Nobody cared for her. She had a bad reputation. I want you to picture the person avoiding everybody, stepping into the city and making sure everybody heard what she had to say. So what God does when he gets a hold of our life and he can transform us is now she's not afraid to say to those who had... Um, and, and it's actually incredibly loving what she does. She goes to people who looked at her and, and labeled her as not having any value. And by her proclamation of Jesus, she was saying to the people, I believe y'all have value. And I've just met someone that you need to follow me out to the well with and hear him and meet him. And so she leaves um, the old matter of her life behind this jar. She secondly um, she becomes somebody who's sent. She goes into the town and proclaims this in front of everybody, right into the mix of the community of the, that had rejected her. The third thing, um, what happens when our heart becomes satisfied in Jesus, not only do we leave old matters behind because we've got a new life, but we also want to go and we want to tell, we become a sent life. But the third one, and you may have experienced this before in your life, I have, is the heart that becomes satisfied becomes in Jesus becomes content knowing that God knows all things about us. Now, I love what she says here. Look at 29. She, we, we, uh, we have evangelism courses where we teach people, here's how to give your personal testimony, and you've got to write it out. You spend a whole afternoon. She didn't get to, she, Jesus didn't pull her aside and say, um, let me give you a little course when you go back into town, what you need to say. She goes back into town, and this is all that she knows how to say. 
come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? We spend here in the West so much time making sure that nobody knows um, that we don't have it together. We want to make sure that everybody knows, oh, I've got it all together and I'm strong and, and I've got it all together. And she, once she saw the reality that Jesus knew everything about her, it became freeing for her, not, not binding to her. She was like, only, watch, only God can know everything about me. Nobody, nobody told him about me, but he knew everything about me. So therefore, this must be the Christ, and she comes to realize this incredible reality, and it becomes freeing to her to know that he knew everything about her, all of her dark secrets, and guess what? He loved her anyway. And when you and I get to that place where the darkness in our heart and some of the decisions and some of the things that maybe we get caught up in when we know this, that Christ knows those things, is he happy about those things well of course he's not he wants us to he wants us to walk in holiness because that's best for us but it doesn't remove his love for us so here's this woman she finds it incredibly beautiful that her life is laid bare before jesus and he knows it all and it's all that she can talk about and i think it's proof that she's been changed come see a man who told me all that i ever did can this be the christ you know, David felt that before. Listen to these words in Psalm 139. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. In other words, God doesn't have to be in the room to even know our thoughts. He, he discerns them, David says, from afar. God, you search out my path. You know when I lie down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. And then David says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And I believe at times in our life, nothing can be more freeing for our hearts and for our life to be laid bare before Christ. And he knows everything. And he loves us anyway. So the heart that becomes satisfied becomes a life that is sin. It leaves old matters behind. It becomes a sent life. Um, it's comfortable being laid bare before the glory of God. And lastly, the heart that is satisfied becomes pretty convincing to others that Jesus is worth it. Look at verse 30. So she goes in and she's just got one thing to say. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they're like, okay, we're going with you. Yeah, let's go. And they went out of the town and were coming to him. They left their jobs. They left food on the table. They left cooking, chores, homes to go out to the well, convinced by the woman's testimony. So I want you to picture this now. So this is the well. Back there, Sychar. And Jesus is going to turn to the disciples now. And he's got to communicate something to them about the harvest because a harvest is about to take place. And from Sychar... Um, I did some looking this week. Sychar was anywhere from 200, 250 to maybe upwards to 500 people, a small village. And she goes into town and lets everybody know, hey, come, come. This could be the Christ. Come out here. Um, he, he told me everything that I ever did. And the people are wearing robes in those days. For the most part, they were all the same color, kind of white. And Jesus is going to tell the disciples, you've got to have a harvest mindset. And so... If you were to look in the distance, you would see 200, 250 people walking 
toward the well, and it would look like wheat blowing in the wind. There would be this mass movement of people moving out to the well where you are. And so Jesus turns to the disciples and tells them, you've got to have a harvest mindset. And I want to talk about that just for a moment. And so look at 35. So Jesus turns to them and says, don't say this, that there are yet four months. So, so the harvest is in the future. Then comes the harvest. So the disciples had gone into town they had been around, watch this, they had been, been among all of those people that are now coming out from the town. They hadn't told anybody in town. They hadn't looked at anybody in town and thought, boy, these people are worth telling about the Messiah that he's out at the well. Hey, anybody in town, y'all want to come out with us? We're followers of Jesus. He's the Son of God. He's here. Y'all want to come out? They didn't tell anybody. But now the woman has gone into town. She's told everybody, and everybody's convinced, and they leave all their jobs, leave their chores, leave food on the table, and they are coming out to Jesus. And so Jesus is telling them, men, listen, don't, don't say, you know, a couple years down the road, four months down the road, there'll be a spiritual harvest. I'm telling you right now, do you look, look down the road? Do you see all those people coming? The harvest is now. There needs to be a now mindset about this a few weeks ago or maybe three i don't know gosh these these weeks have just they all seem the same together but anyway i don't know how long ago ago it was i did some prayer walking with a group of people from the church uh one thursday afternoon and uh lily item and i were were going out and we stopped at this house and we were praying out loud on the street for the homes in the subdivision and just just praying for people uh and uh, this lady was coming out of her garage and was kind of looking at us. What are y'all doing? I said, hey, we're, we're going to pray for your house. And she said, go ahead. So I started praying out loud, and, and the front door opened. The husband came out and shut the door, and so he interrupted my prayer. So I stopped praying and said, hi, uh, we're just some Christ followers, and we're just praying for the homes in the neighborhood. And he said, man, go for it. And so we prayed, and they were believers. Uh, he's a worship leader here in McKinney. And, uh, and so we just prayed over their home and prayed over their other homes and just asking God, 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 not, not 10 years from now, but how about right now in the midst of COVID-19? Would you do a work with your people? Would you do a work with people who don't know you and that would drive them to come to faith in you? And so Jesus tells the disciples, guys, don't, don't see the harvest as down the road. See it as now. And he tells them three things. Look, do you see who's coming? Look at these people who are coming out to us. The people that you are just in the presence of and got food from. They are coming out to us. And so he says, look. And Jesus says there, he says, I tell you, this is from me. I'm telling you, you've got to see the harvest this way. So not only look, but then he says, lift up your eyes. Look up from, from what you're looking at and see the people that are approaching us. A whole town is coming out to Jesus. Dust is rising in the air. The sound of the village, people coming, is getting louder as they get closer. Broken people are coming. Discarded Samaritans, half-breed people, people with false worship, confusion, and false faith, they are all coming. Disciples, do you see the harvest is coming to us? And are we ready? And he said this. He said, see, thirdly, he said, see that the fields are white. The fields are people. That's what that represents. And it's a movement of white that is coming. Now, I, I've said the, this to the first two services, and I want to say it to us as well. Um, 
And I say this with gentleness, but also strongness, if that's a word. We must take our eyes off of COVID-19 and take our ears off the news of COVID-19 and set them on Jesus. He's so much bigger than this. Um, About two weeks in, this was my routine. Come home, watch the press conference, watch the reporters and watch the president respond, watch this person say this. And then about two weeks in, I just thought, I'm not going to listen to this anymore. And I started reading my Bible more. And I tell you, things dramatically changed in my perspective of all this. And so for us, I think during these days, God is saying, church, in a broken world, in a broken Western world that's confused about who I am and is living in fear, I'm calling my people to look, lift up their eyes and see our America as white for harvest. There's been a thread going through the Nextdoor app for three weeks now that started with this saying, there are only three things keeping us alive. Social distancing, masks, and gloves. And my heart breaks, and it's still just going. My heart breaks if our life has been belittled down to a place that our safety and security is about those things. And so I want to remind us, we get it, I know we get it, but I just want to remind us this morning, so just hear me, remind us this morning, our life is not grounded in anything of this earth even social distancing. We are, as his people, in whose hands? The Father's hands, and we are in Jesus' hands. That's in John 10. And that's where our great hope lies. And so Jesus had to talk to these men who saw what he was doing as scandalous, but they had no idea that that woman he was talking to was about to go into a village, and that village was going to become so convinced of her transformation that they were going to come out and stand in the presence of Jesus himself. And they were going to come to faith and believe and have their lives transformed as well. And so I think these days are days where God is calling the church, lift up your eyes, church, and stop looking and stop listening to the bad news that is around us. So next, Jesus speaks to them about what they were about to do. And so he he speaks to them about having a harvest mindset, and then he speaks to them about a role within the harvest mindset, and that is either to be a sower or a reaper. And every one of us who has faith in Christ, we are either a sower or we are a reaper. Sometimes we're both of those um, in somebody's life. And so the word reaping here, if we were to say, how do you define reaping? It means to gather a crop. And so Jesus says, already, look at 36. Here's the life of the reaper. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So what Jesus is talking about is this. The woman's gone into town. She's proclaimed. They've become convinced enough to come out of Sychar, come out to the well, and to see Jesus. The disciples had nothing to do with that group of people coming out there. They didn't tell anybody. They didn't invite anybody out. But she's gone. She's convinced them. They're coming out. They had nothing to do with the sowing, but they were going to do have to do with the reaping. And they were going to get wages 
earn something spiritually that they had nothing to do about planting. The woman had done the great work when she went back into town. And so Jesus says, listen, the reaper is one who receives wages or, or, or they work in the field of souls and they are rewarded by other people coming to faith in Christ. And they're gathering fruit for the kingdom. So that's the life of the reaper. Let's look at the fifth thing. There's a joy and a friendship of the connection between the sower and the reaper. And Jesus says that the sower and the reaper, they rejoice at the same time. And here's why. I've had this happen to me in my life um, in a number of different ways. So I've shared the gospel with someone and they've said, not interested. I've shared the gospel with someone they've said, not interested. So, and eventually they kind of don't really want to hear it anymore. And so you don't share the gospel anymore. You just, what? You just start praying for them. That eventually God will work what you have sowed and poured into their heart for a while. And so sometimes you have to wait years. I've heard, I've heard of parents just praying for decades for their kids to come to faith. And just praying and praying and praying and praying. And so sometimes it does take a long time. And then sometimes you can meet somebody and you can share the gospel with them in that moment. And they will go, yeah, I'll believe right now. And so in that moment you sow. And in that moment, just a few moments later, you reap. They come to faith. And so, so in that reality, Jesus wants them to know, listen, you're about to reap something that you had nothing to do with sowing, but the sower and the reaper should rejoice together because there's a unique relationship that is connected um, with them. Now, in a real harvest... If you're a farmer like John Llewellyn has a farm, Llewellyn Farms, John gets the ground ready, he plants, and then what does John have to do? Does the next day, does he just have fields full of vegetables? No, he has to wait. But spiritually, you don't necessarily always have to wait. You don't plant a cucumber seed and have a full mature cucumber plant the next day just full of things to pick off. And so, But sometimes... You can go into a place and you can proclaim the gospel and God can just do something like that. I've seen it before. When I was a young youth pastor and had no idea what I was doing, a couple of guys uh, in my youth group at First Baptist Canyon got excited about the Lord and they said, we want our friends to know about Christ. Will you teach us how to share the gospel with people? And I said, yeah. And so I told them, I said, here's the deal. I'll go in to some of your friends for the first couple of weeks and I'll show you how to do it. But from there on out, I'm going to stay in the car and y'all are going to go inside. So over a period of six weeks, we drove all over Canyon, Texas and over 40 students, these students led over 40 of their friends to Christ. And from that, other people got led and we ended up baptizing one night almost, almost 60 people, 60 students on a Sunday night. You see, sometimes we, I did the sowing into these guys, these two guys, and then they went and started doing the sowing and the reaping. And I rejoiced every time that they came out high-fiving that somebody inside that house had just trusted Christ, one of their friends. And so Jesus says, the sower and the reaper rejoice together for the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. Now, I want to just touch on this for a moment. I don't have a whole lot of time left. But I want, to, I, want to, I want you to see what this does not say. 
Sometimes people see sowing and reaping like, okay, a spiritual gift. Well, you've been given by the Holy Spirit to be a sower, and you've been given by the Holy Spirit to be a reaper. And no, uh, Jesus' point here is simply this. One day we may be a sower, and probably most days we're more of a sower, but sometimes we become the reaper. And so sometimes, sometimes we're both. Sometimes we're just a sower, and sometimes we're just a reaper, and sometimes we're the sower and the reaper at the same time in the way that we invest in the people. So it's not one of those things where um, we're one or the other. We are to be both of those. They are connected together. And I believe any time the gospel is proclaimed, even like this morning, the seed of the gospel is proclaimed and lands on hearts and lands on minds, and God can do something with that. And for the disciples, they would go into all the world and they would proclaim the truth of the gospel to people. And sometimes they would show up in places and somebody would beat them there. And they thought they were coming in to sow and they come in and they reap because God had already been at work preparing the hearts of the people there. And missionaries will tell you this. Um, and there's scores of books out there of missionaries who've gone to foreign lands and they've spent their life investing decade after decade after decade and nobody comes to Christ. They die and somebody new comes in and guess what? The people group is ready and masses of them come to faith in Christ. And that person's not even on the earth anymore. That person's in heaven. But we need to see that our sowing eventually will result in a reaping and so we rejoice every time we sow so every time uh, Karis loves to share her faith every time Karis shares the three circles with somebody and one of her friends says no not interested Karis needs to rejoice that she has sown the gospel into the heart of somebody else and maybe down the road somebody else is going to come along and share the gospel and that person will be ready and so we trust the power of the word of God to transform people's lives. So look at 38. Jesus sends us. Um, there's a sending nature of Jesus. And so look what he says in 38. He says, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Now this is absolutely true. Did they do anything in Sychar? Nothing. They just went in to get food. They were not interested in sharing anything. And now they're about to reap, and they didn't do any of the work. The woman had gone into town. She had done the work. Others have labored, Jesus says there, and you have entered into their labor. And so uh, let me just remind us of this. Jesus sends us into his work. Working the fields of souls is his work. Third, secondly, he sends us in places sometimes um, to reap what we did not labor. Um, a couple of years ago in Nepal, um, I participated in a baptism service there. 167 people got baptized one Sunday afternoon. So Pastor Ganga was right there. I was right here. And we, we lowered person after, you know how long it takes to baptize? 167 people. And I bent down bent down to where my hamstrings were cramping toward the end. I needed to have done some weights and squats before I went. And I tell you, after that time was over, Mike Sisko that and I that night were just talking in the hotel room and said, I have never seen anything like that in my life. 167 people who had come to faith in Christ had just been baptized. 
And I had nothing to do with any of those people's salvation. And I'd been there before. Maybe they'd heard me preach. I had no, no idea. But that day, I had nothing to do with any of the reaping of what God had done. And I rejoiced, even though I had not had anything to do with it. And then I believe God calls us to join as laborers into and with what other people have already done. Now, we've been about LifePoint for 11 and a half years now, and um, I, if I were real honest, there's moments I've wanted to quit and just go hide myself in a, under a rock or leave and go do something else, but we've stayed with it for 11 and a half years. And here's why we don't despair, even though some days are really, really difficult. Here's why we don't despair, because it's not dependent on us. This is Isaiah 55.10 and following. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that for which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Every time we preach, every time we sing in this room, every time we gather by Zoom for a life group meeting, every time we have a life group meeting in person, any time the gospel is talked about, any time the word is proclaimed, that is not a failure, that is a success. Whether anybody believes, anybody comes to faith, we trust that when we proclaim God's word, that God's going to do the work eventually to accomplish exactly what he wants to accomplish. So I want to close with this. Four minutes and three seconds left. I want to talk about the power of the word of Jesus and personal testimony. Look at 39. So many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. What was her testimony? He told me all that I ever did. So verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days when she went back into town she didn't pronounce a new philosophy or a new idea she just talked about jesus and just said i met this guy who told me everything that i'd ever done it was a simple testimony and they came out from sychar and it says verse 40 says they came to him she wasn't calling them to herself or to any of the disciples she called them to him and they wanted more of his presence and he stayed two more days. And so not only is the power of a personal testimony brought transformation to some of her village people, but it was also the power of the word of Christ. Look at 41 and 42, the last verses. And many more believe because of his word. Whose word? Jesus' word. So Jesus teaches, he proclaims more. 42 says, and so they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Now that last phrase there, this is indeed the Savior of the world. Can I, let me just share this with you. So far in Israel, that had not been said by anybody but John the Baptist. So now, right here in pagan, discarded, false-worshipping, Samaritan half-breed people, they get who Jesus is. And the first public declaration is among Samaritans who say, 
we know that you are the Savior of the world. And their lives are transformed in that moment. 64 years ago, some tribesmen in Ecuador took five spears and killed five American missionaries. The deaths of Peter Fleming, who was 27, Jim Elliott, 28, Ed McCulley, he was age 28, Roger Yauderin, 31, and Nate Saint, 32, made headlines for weeks and produced a best-selling book, and their martyrdom was just worldwide talked about. What fewer people don't know, unless you're familiar with the story, is that the widows of those five men, you know what they did? They went back to those people that had killed their husbands and shared the gospel with them. And that tribe who had spent centuries practicing revenge killing came to know Christ and were transformed and stopped all of that. Now Mark was telling me that one of those guys, Nate Saint, who's 32, was killed by a guy who eventually came to Christ and the guy who killed Nate Saint died a couple of years ago. And let me tell you about the beauty of the gospel. So the guy who killed Nate Saint met Nate Saint in heaven because God's forgiveness is even extended to people who kill Christians and who come to faith. And that's the point of John 4. It's the earliest picture of what the gospel can do among a people. Started with one woman <laughs> running into town, an outcast woman saying, you got to come out to the well and meet this guy who knows everything about me. And that guy that she was talking about, we need more of him. More of him. More of him. More of him. Let's pray.